you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the book of James? In just a moment, we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And as you're turning to the book of James, I remind you that on Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series entitled, Getting in Shape. Turning our spiritual flab into spiritual muscle as the summer approaches, so that you will look good in your spiritual bathing suit. Now... In order to do that, we've got to go to the gym. We've got to turn ourselves from marshmallows to marble. And we've got to work out. Now, so far, we're on a circuit of training. Some of you don't like it, but it's needful and necessary if you're going to get ready for the summer. So far, we've been on the weight machine of discipline. And some of you didn't like that machine. And then we went to the weight machine of worship. Then we went to the weight machine of the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. And this morning we're going to the weight machine of focus. Focus. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. James was not a theologian like Paul. He was a common sense, practical man who had one belief, and this is what it was. What you think ought to be how you talk and how you act. Your beliefs and behaviors ought to go together. And if they don't, you got something wrong with you. If any man among you seem to be religious, pious, spiritual, Walking with God. But he bridles not his tongue. He is deceiving his own self. His own heart. And his religion, whatever it is, is vain and worthless. Pure religion. Real religion. The religion that the Bible teaches. The religion that is undefiled before God. And the father is this, to visit the fatherless, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, in those verses, we see three focuses. The first is the inward focus, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that one. And then from the inward focus is going to come the outward focus. And from the outward focus, it will lead us to the upward focus. Okay? So the focus starts at the middle of the bullseye and is going to expand outward as we look at it. Now, let me ask you a question. If you hear the term sanctity of life, what usually comes to your mind? You hear the term sanctity of life, What normally comes to your mind? It usually has to do with the unborn and their rights of personhood. But may I suggest to you that while sanctity of life includes the unborn, because they are people, they just live on the other side of the womb, 
I, may I suggest to you that sanctity of life also includes all people. All people. The sanctity of life that we're to have should include the orphans, as James mentions. The fatherless. It should include the widows, those who are without a husband. It should include the poor, the disabled, the handicapped, the bedridden, the diseased, the elderly, those who are multiracial, those who are retarded, those who are like us and those who are not like us. May I suggest to you that the sanctity of life should cover every single person. Because every single person is a creation of God. God created every single person with a plan and with a purpose. Therefore, if we're all creations of God, then we all should be part of the sanctity of life. We should be treating everybody, not just the unborn, but everybody, with dignity and value and kindness. Now, we as Christians have a responsibility in regard to the sanctity of life. The people that God has created. The people that we're to treat with dignity and value and kindness. And our responsibility is this. We're to speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves. And we're to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. We are to be defenders, we're to be advocates, we're to be protectors, we're to be proponents of those who are helpless and defenseless in our world. Say, Pastor, where'd you get that from? From the Bible. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Open thy mouth, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, those who are dumb. Speak up for those who are on a path to destruction. Open thy mouth. Speak up. Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy, says the writer of Proverbs. Now, in our verses we just read, James is talking about that. He's talking about that inward focus that we should have that will lead us to an outward focus, that will lead us to an upward focus. When we get ourselves right, we then have the ability to be right with our fellow man, that then in turn will lead us to being right with God. First of all, let me say this. In regard to inward focus... If your religion doesn't change you, your religion is worthless. If your religion, in regard to outward focus, does not cause you to think differently and treat people differently, your religion is worthless. If your religion doesn't give you a love for God and the things that God loves, your religion is worthless. And may I suggest there's a lot of folks today who have worthless religion. 
Because they have not been changed at all. They've not been transformed by the power of God. They're the same old person now they've always been. They don't treat people any differently now than they used to. And their love for the Lord isn't any greater now than it was ever was. James believes that if you've got the real thing, it ought to change you. Amen? It ought to change the way you think and talk and treat other people. Amen? It ought to give you a better love for Him and want to do the things that He would have you to do. Amen? Dear children, says John, let us not love with just words. Let us not just love with our tongue. But let us love with our actions that come from our heart. This morning, let's look at the focuses very quickly. The first focus, and we're going to spend more time on this one than the other two, is the inward focus. Ourselves. Now notice what James says. Keep your Bibles open and pay attention. Because he's not preaching, he's meddling right now. If any man among you seem to be religious. Alright? Now religious here means they, they say they're of God. They're spiritual. They're pious. They strut around like they're a big deal. Spiritual. If any man among you seems to be that way, yet he cannot bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, he deceives his own heart, and his religion is vain or worthless. Pure religion that is undefiled before God and the Father is this. You visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and you keep yourself unspotted from the world. Whatever your faith is, whatever your religion is, it ought to enable you to bridle your tongue, first of all. We're talking about ourselves. Before we can talk about what we need to do to others, before we need to talk about what we need to do for the Lord, we need to talk about what we need to be in preparation for that. And James, right out of the blocks, talks about those who of us who claim to have a walk with God, we need to have our talk controlled by Him. We need to have a bridle, if you will, on this thing called our tongue. Just as a horse has a bit in his mouth, and that bit controls the horse... We should have a bit in our mouth. A bit that should control what we say to other people. Because all people should be treated with dignity and with value and with honor. Because they're all creations of God. You say, well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. God created you and me and He created all men. And we should understand that. And there's an old saying, look before you leap. May I change that old saying to say, we need to look before we lip. We need to think before we allow words to come out of our mouth that can be very damaging to people 
that we're supposed to be treating with respect and with value and with dignity and with self-worth. Our mouths should be pipes for syrup to go through, not pipes for sewage to come out of. Proverbs 10.19 says, He who controls his tongue is very wise. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I will watch my words and keep my tongue from sinning. I will muzzle my mouth, says the psalmist. The most difficult thing you and I will ever do in the Christian life is learn how to speak to other people. To master and control this unruly little member that's in our mouth called our tongue. Somebody who was having a hard time with their tongue had a little prayer that I think is a good one for all of us. Lord, put your arm around my shoulder and your hand across my mouth. (laughs) That's why God gave us teeth. You know what teeth are? Teeth are a picket fence to keep your tongue behind. That's why God gave us two lips. Because those lips are a sealant, a clamp, a second barrier to keep that tongue in your mouth. James says, if you can't learn how to bridle your tongue, your faith is worthless. And we live in a day when so many people use their tongue to trash other people, to tear other people down in the church and out of the church. I don't believe there's ever been a time when words today are so filthy and foulish. We live in a day where everybody has a racial slur against somebody that's different than they are. And every race does it, by the way. The white race does it to the black race. The black race does it to the brown race. The brown race does it to the yellow race. The yellow race does it to the red race. And the red race does it to the green race. Say, who's green? The Martians. (laughs) We all have our own little racial slurs that we call other races. Sometimes we do it publicly. Sometimes we do it privately. But we do it. And it never ceases to amaze me, the people that holler the most about it, they do it the most. The race hustlers. They get mad if you say something about their race, but they'll say the same dirty words about their own people. Racial slurs today, political smears. Have you ever seen an election year where candidates say so much belittling nonsense to one another? Sometimes I wish you could just take all the candidates and wrap them up in a piece of paper and throw them all in the waste paper basket and start all over again. We live in a day of religious put-downs. People tear down each other's religion. We live in a day of sexual innuendos when everything that comes out of somebody's mouth is sexually belittling. We live in a day of cultural degradations, personal insults, malicious gossip. It's hard-pressed not to be affected by it, because it's all around. People don't care what they say, they don't care how they say it, they don't care who they say it to. We live in a day of filthy, foul language. And you know what this shows? Listen. What comes up in the bucket 
was what's in the well. And what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. We live in a day when the hearts of men are wicked. And some claim to be Christians and they choose those words and others claim not to be. If you have a sweet heart, sweet words will come out. If you have a sour heart, sour words will come out. Do you understand that? What comes out of your mouth, publicly or privately, is what's in your heart. What a man says is what he is. And if a man says he loves God, but yet he insults other people, he uses profanity, he uses vulgarity, he uses slurs and smears and hateful words against other people for whatever reason. James says he's deceived. He hasn't got what he thinks he's got. In fact, his faith is worthless. It's worthless for this life and it'll be worthless for the life to come. I wouldn't give you a half a hallelujah for somebody who uses foul, filthy words of salvation. Somehow, we have allowed it to go on in the church and we make excuses. James says, if you're going to get in spiritual shape, you better have an inward focus. And that focus begins with your tongue. What you say about other people. But then it moves past the mouth. James says, then it goes to the hands. Pure religion undefiled before God, verse 27, and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. What he's talking about is, is not only to those of us who claim to be Christians, should we have a muzzle on our mouth and learn how to control it, but we ought to have compassion in our hands toward people who are less fortunate than we are. Now there's a reason why James uses the fatherless and the widows as examples of those that we should show compassion to. Because in his day, the orphans, the fatherless, and the widows, those who did not have a husband for whatever reason, they had very little rights in James's day. Women and children in that day were treated no differently than you would treat your family dog or cat. Most of the time, women and children in this day the Bible days in which this was written, most of the time they were either used or abused by men. Sometimes those men were called husbands. Other times they were called fathers, but they were abusers. In, Roman, in those days, if a baby was born in Roman society, the mother who gave birth to the baby would bring the baby as custom and lay it at the father's feet. The baby that she's carried for nine months, the baby that she's come to know and love, the baby that she's brought into the world, she lays it before her husband's feet and he gives a thumbs up or a thumbs down. 
If he wants to keep the baby because he likes the baby, how it baby looks, the, the gender of the baby, whatever. Thumbs up, we keep it. Should he not like the way the baby looks, may it not, if it not, may not be the gender he wants, he can give it a thumbs down and the baby will be taken to the trash dump and left there. And die from the environment or die from wild animals. Children had no rights whatsoever. And women had no rights whatsoever. A husband could get rid of his wife for any reason under the sun. She burnt the beans, out the door she goes. She didn't put the button on my shirt in the right place, out the door she goes. She doesn't look like I want her to look. She doesn't talk like I want her to talk. She doesn't act like I want her to act. Out the door. Divorce was common and the husband could get rid of the wife anytime he wanted to for anything. That was the day in which James is writing this. And you know what was even more horrible? It's bad enough to live with an abusive husband who threatens you with divorce every time you turn around. It's bad enough to be an orphan and not have any parents. But not, but to live in a society where all of a sudden you find yourself out on the street. Because remember, women and children had no rights. They had none. So if you were a wife out in the street, if you were a child out in the street, where did you get money? Where did you get a shelter? Where did you get clothes? Where did you get food? Where did you get medicine? You didn't. Unless you became a beggar, a thief, you sold yourself into slavery, or you sold yourself into prostitution. So James says, we have a responsibility not only to muzzle our mouth and watch what we say to people, because all people are created with, by God with plan and purpose and ought to be treated such. But he says, we also have been given hands of compassion. We're the hands of Christ. And when we see people in our society, whatever their name is, that is helpless and defenseless, and has no one to speak out for them, has no one to stand up for them, has no one to help them, we should do it. Now, of course, in our day, we have those kind of people. It's not always the widows and the orphans, although we could include them. It's the unborn. Who speaks for the unborn? As a million and a half a year are slaughtered, and their mother's womb. Somebody said the most dangerous place in America today is not in the streets of Chicago, not in the slums of Los Angeles, not downtown Charleston. The most dangerous place in the world today is to be a baby in its mother's womb. It's interesting to me that those who commit these abortions, they prey on those who are at least able to defend themselves. What can a baby do to defend itself? Sometimes you want to say to these abortionists, 
Why don't you pick on somebody your own size? But they're cowards. Don't you wish an abortionist would come after you? (laughs) Yeah, we could handle them, but not a baby. We need to be compassionate toward the unborn. We need to be compassionate toward abused children. We got an abusive epidemic in our country toward children. And most of them are being abused, and most of it's sexual, by people within their own family. It isn't strangers who abuse them. It's people those little children trust, who violate that trust. And scar those boys and girls for the rest of their life. That's why parents and grandparents need to be vigilant. We really do. Because most of the damage comes from the inside, not the outside. And we as a church, we need to be advocates for the abused children, for the unborn, for battered women. Battered women is an epidemic today. Celebrities do it, athletes do it, so everybody now sees it okay to do it. And many battered women believe they deserve it. If you're a battered woman here today, listen, nobody deserves it. Don't you fall for that lie of the devil that says somebody does, you, you, because of what you said or did, somebody deserves to slap you or punch you in the face or kick you. And then we got persecuted people who need our help. You know, Christians all around the world are being persecuted. They're being persecuted in our country as well. Just because they love Jesus. Our focus, ladies and gentlemen, needs to be on muzzling our mouth. It also needs to be on showing compassion with our hands. And then James mentions one other Concerning the inward focus, he talks about having a clean heart in verse 27. He says, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now I'm spending a lot of time talking about what we're to be. Because if we're not where we need to be, nothing else outward or upward will ever take place. So without appearing to be redundant, although I am deliberately being redundant. We need to learn how to muzzle our mouth. That only sweet things come out, not sewage. That only positive things come out, not negative or nasty or filthy or foul. We need to take these hands God has given us. And we need to use these hands to speak out and to stand up and to help those in our society who cannot help themselves. And then we're to stay free as much as we can from the pollution of the world. Our world is heavily polluted with wickedness. You don't have to go far before some of that pollution will get on you. I've been to India many times. Keith has been with me several times. India is one of the nastiest countries in the world. Now it's making progress. But by and large, India is a dirty, polluted country. The air that you breathe in India is thick. And it's dark. It's dirty air. 
The ground that you walk on in India is dirty ground. Animals are everywhere, and animals relieve themselves anywhere and everywhere. And not only the animals, but the people do. Not uncommon to see it happening before your eyes. As people do not go to public restrooms, there's not any to go to. The street is the restroom. The water is dirty in India. First time I ever went to India, I sent some shirts to the laundry service of the motel. And they brought them back, and they were stiff as a board. You could stand those shirts up without me in them. I mean, they were stiff. You had to, to pull them just to get them loose enough to put them on. I told the lady the next day, I said, do not put starch in my shirts. Too much. She said, no starch. Washing River, no starch. Washing River. The river where dead animals are dumped. The river where dead people are burned. The river where pollutants are dumped. The river where they get their drinking water from, where you take your shower in. It was an amazing thing when I went to India. I always felt dirtier and oilier when I came out of the shower than when I went in. I didn't know what I was rinsing with. What I'm trying to get you to see is the nation of India is polluted. The air's polluted, the ground's polluted, the water's polluted, the conditions are polluted, the surfaces are polluted. It's a challenge to stay clean in India. You can bring sanitizer, constant put it on, you can wash your hands, you can shower three times a day, you can change clothes, but it's just a challenge to stay clean. But you know something that's more of a challenge to stay clean in America? Because we're a polluted nation morally and spiritually. We got eye pollution with pornography, ear pollution with profanity, we got mind pollution with negativity, we got bodily pollution with violence. You don't have to go far out there before you're going to be exposed to that pollution. And what James says is, you can't always control the pollution. But you can control your cleanliness. By making sure you wash and cleanse yourself as often as possible by the blood of Jesus. That you'll stay morally and spiritually clean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. We've got to stay clean. That's the inward focus. Mouths that are positive, hands that are compassionate, and hearts that are pure. Now, when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, something else is going to happen very quickly. We get right here. All of a sudden, we will have a desire that will go outward. An outward desire to help those whom God loves, whose lives are sanctified, 
to help those that need our help. Notice in verse 27, James says to visit these ones, the fatherless and the widows. That word visit's an interesting word. When if I said, I want you to go pay a visit to somebody, what you would think, and correctly think in our terminology, you go knock on the door, say hi, how you doing? Do whatever you're going to do, bye, and go away. Visit doesn't mean that here. What the word visit means, it comes from a Greek word that means you go, you stay, you help, you leave, you return, you help, you leave, you return again, you help, you leave. In other words, it's an ongoing process of showing compassion to people who need it. You know, Jesus said, how you care for people who have little is an evidence of your salvation in Matthew 25. In Proverbs 21, the writer of Proverbs says, how you care for people affects your prayer life. So how, how we outwardly focus says a lot about where we're at with Jesus and if our prayers are going to be answered. I challenge you to find a place that you can put the compassion of your hands to work. The Low Country, Low Country Crisis Pregnancy Center that some of our ladies are involved in, I applaud you for being involved in that. We as a church can be involved in it. Because that's a place that ladies can go and, and take their hands of compassion and make a difference. Administratively. Maybe just in custodial ways. Maybe in counseling ways. There's a place for every woman who wants a place at the Low Country Crisis Pregnancy Center. Helping confused young girls and saving the lives of their unborn babies. Maybe you could serve in a women's shelter. Maybe you could be there and help women who are so mixed up about men that they would allow men to beat them over and over and over again. And the sad thing is they just keep going back. And most of them eventually are going to subly and some will even die from it. But you could serve in a women's shelter, some of you. Some of you could do meals on wheels, taking a meal to somebody who that might be their only meal they get. And giving them a smile and a word of encouragement along the way. Maybe some of you could use your hands of compassion to visit the sick and shut-in of our church. You know, we've got over 50 people going to be visited today. The church is sending them a little gift to say we love you. And you're taking it out to them, some of you. Thank you for doing that. That's hands of compassion to go and say, you, we care about you. The homeless ministry that Tommy and Teresa Ward work so diligently with and Norman has got involved with. It's not just trying to put a shelter over somebody's head, but it's trying to change their thinking, change their way of life, so one day they can be productive members of society. It's about helping them know Jesus, so one day they can spend eternity in heaven. Maybe you could be helpful with trying to bring races together. We're in the process of doing a partnership with New Vision Cathedral, Pastor Ed Johnson. 
Our choir went over and sang for uh, one of his events, and he has done nothing but talk about how good our choir was, how much he loved it. He's spoken at one of our men's suppers, and he wants us to come over and do some teaching and preaching there, and we're going to be inviting him to come over and bring his choir. You know, I think of Martin Luther King. He said, don't judge people by their color. Judge them by their character. And maybe some of you could be instrumental in reaching out to others' races and saying, listen, you're welcome here. And you are welcome here. But maybe we could do it more deliberate fashion. Maybe you could volunteer in a school, in a hospital. There's places where we can use our compassionate hands to make a difference. Would you? But you've got to look for the place. If you don't look for it, you'll never find it. And you've got to do something with it. If you wait for them to come to you, you'll never serve. Take the initiative yourself. A man went to his pastor after his pastor preached a message on heaven. And the man said, Pastor, that is the finest message I've ever heard on heaven. You covered every single thing that I would have ever thought you could cover. You answered every single question that I thought needed to be answered. But there is one thing that you didn't mention. And maybe next time when you preach the message, you should put it in. The pastor said, well, what is it? The man said, you didn't really tell us where heaven is. The pastor said, oh, but I can tell you this. I just got a call today, the pastor said, of a lady who has many small children. And she lives alone and she works two jobs. But even working two jobs, she doesn't have enough money to put food on the table. To put clothes on their back. To put fuel so they'll have warmth for the winter. Would you go to their house? Would you take them some food? Would you take them some clothes? Would you take them some fuel? If you will go and you will give to their needs. You'll read the Bible to them. And pray with them. If you will go to her house, you will find heaven. Because Christ will be there. And He is heaven. The inward focus, what we should be. The outward focus, what we should do. And lastly, the upward focus. When we've got the right mouth, when we've got the right hands, when we've got the right heart, when we're doing the right thing toward other people, we will be right with God. We will be right with God. True faith is not just talking, it's walking. It's not just saying, but it's doing. It's not just the theology, but it's practicality as we live out our lives each and every day. What a message from James. May we pray.